0: Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. I am your host, Curtis Kopotick, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. And today we have an amazing panel discussion with some great insights from James Rethaber, Forrest Richardson, Jessica Herrera, and Michael Escobar.
1: Yeah. Hey, Curtis. Today, we're going to be talking about the problem that a lot of employees are facing right now as far as bringing in new employees. The job market is is a little bit crazy this past year and a half. And so we're going to talk about how safety kind of ties into that. We've had Forrest and James on before. Forrest is our safety professional here at Fit for Work. And James is our certified professional ergonomist. He's also the vice president of technical services. They both bring a wealth of knowledge in their respective areas. Michael and Jessica are new to the podcast, but not new to the industrial setting. Both of them also have years of experience working with different clients on how to improve their employees' workplace safety.
0: And it really is great to have both of their insights because they have both been former all the way from onsite providers to now area directors. And for those who don't know, as an area director, they have oversight with hundreds of different clients as well as going out to these new clients and coordinating the implementation of Fit for Work. So they're able to have that great perspective perspective of how to work with the individual employees as well as management and how to implement different strategies that are so easy to do and effective to do that any site can implement. So it's not just those that have fit for work services, but any company can implement these different simple safety programs and steps to make your work safer for employees. So they want to be there.
1: So have a listen to our panel discussion with Michael, James, Forrest, and Jessica.
0: So we are really excited to have this panel and we are going to jump right in and get some feedback. So we're gonna start with Jessica and if you could just tell us what problems are you or the clients that we work with, what is kind of the big problem that they're seeing when it comes to employees?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'd say from our client base, what they're mostly telling us is just the amount of workload they have going on. They just don't have the bodies to fill that workload. So they're having and seeing a much higher value on the individual rather than just the process. So it's putting a tremendous amount of pressure on human resources and recruiting and even operations to make sure that not only are they getting people in the door, but they're retaining them. So instead of just incentivizing you know, the pay or maybe a certain schedule, they're looking at ways that they can retain their employees for the long run.
1: So incentivizing, that's not new to the business world. We've seen that, you know, kind of across the board, especially with some executives and maybe not necessarily industrial positions. But, you know, as you mentioned, Jessica, that that is going on now is sign on bonuses or or other things like that. Forrest, how does safety play a role in this? Or are we seeing safety playing a role as far as new hires? and, And how does that all pan out?
3: Oh, sure. You know, it's one of the first kind of mandates, you know, that OSHA kind of says, hey, you have to identify the hazards and you have to train your people and, and those things. And I would uh, reference uh, National Safety Council's Safety and Health Journal. You know, there's a January 2021 article or edition about CEOs who get it. It's a really, really interesting story, and it just kind of validates how the overall focus on production processes and just everything from new hire all the way through identifying risks and, 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 finding out what you need to and, and getting your handle on it and addressing those things, what it really does, not only for a company's culture, but also for the profitability. One of the things that I found really interesting about that article and the the relative other CEOs who get it, some of their some of their viewpoints are just really, really awesome, just their real life stories about how do you take safety and risk and make that the priority? How do you how do you fight that fight from an entire company standpoint? And what the CEO from Alcoa Paul O'Neill, I believe was his name, was just talking about, he he took that aspect of safety is first, our employees are first, and all of the benefits from that will come out and will that will have an impact to our stakeholders. But he understood that processes and identifying processes doesn't motivate people, but safety can. So, he essentially kind of picked a fight, you know, the way the way the article goes. And he picked a fight with the idea that something inside the company was injuring or possibly even killing their employees. The notion that industrial manufacturing came with an acceptable amount of risk, the idea that any risk or any injury was acceptable. He really took that on and he forced it from the top down. And now, you know, that didn't come without a whole lot of different challenges. And that was tested, you know, often. But when he left Alcoa, the company's income was five times higher than when he started. And its market value had increased from $3 billion to $27 billion. It was a nearly impossible turnaround. And they had one of the best safety records in the business at that time. You know, so focusing on, it's a meditation on how focusing on processes at all levels and identifying those efficiencies and the, the positive benefits to the entire enterprise culture quality efficiency profitability how taking that from the top down all the way through and if you take a look at that that article that's just it's just repeatable data points from companies from across the industrial spectrum.
0: Now, you brought this up as, and the descriptive word you use is a fight. Now, when you say fight, is this a fight against people? Is it a fight against just the overall general apathy or culture? Why does it need to be a fight and who is the fight really against?
3: Well, I think it's just people. It's the nature of operating businesses and it's this is not something new. So, you know, I like the way they chose that because it's kind of an When you're really trying to change paradigms and change culture, I mean, you do have a fight on your hand. You have resistance at multiple levels. You have questions that need to be answered. So, you know, it really, in a sense, is kind of like a fight or a battle. So I really like that. But in facilitating or implementing that, it's one of team, you know, it's so it sounds like it's a harsh term, but, you know, you really are doing it for the right reasons. And you're you need to have allies. You need to you know, the the folks that play within at the corporate level to the middle range, all the way down to the floor. Everybody's creating allies. You create a vision and that vision has strategy and that strategy requires commitment and that commitment requires accountability. That equation is not new. It's easy to say, but it's impossible to do without tying all those things together. And it has to be top down. And that's why I referenced that article about CEOs who get it. You know, these are the guys that are actually handling all the burdens for the rest of us, you know, who work for the companies.
1: Michael, you're one of our directors down in the South, and and we've got our longest standing clients down there. Where do you see some of those clients? Are they taking advantage, or how are they taking advantage of using safety, maybe within the hiring process?
4: Well, they address safety early, and I think that's key. If an individual new hire understands that safety is one of the first components that's being discussed, I believe in my estimation that the new hire would look to that as, hey, as they, they're valuing me. They value me, my health, my wellness, and my well-being, not just now, but for the long haul. And I think so when you highlight safety early on in, within the onboarding process, as I've seen our legacy clients do, I think that brings an, an ultimate value in the mind of that new hire and helps to set a springboard into the work ahead.
1: Are there any specific areas that these legacy clients are focusing on as far as, is it training? Is it more just a speak up when you see something?
4: Yes, yes, it's a combination of all that. You know, some of these folks, you know, they're looking at some very comprehensive and intensive immersion into functional training in to include a great deal of behavioral training and conditioning so that these new hires, this workforce that comes in today is able to meet the physical demands, the rigors of a ten hour workday. When you consider that, the mental and physical rigors of that ten hour shift. Well, it's, you know, the, the instruction put forth is going to be absolutely critical for their long-term success. And of course, each new hire brings, there has to be a high yield productivity level for each of these individuals. And in order for them to meet that productivity level, the appropriate training needs to be there. And if it becomes in the form of a training that seeks the goodness of fit in that it will elicit a predictive reasoning of mind from the new hire. Where the new higher states well you know what that makes sense I can do that and I understand why and I'll be better for it these are the pieces that these folks are, are undertaking and uh, again with today's workforce as nuanced as it is in, in the in this video age in this screen age and then you consider the physical demand and physical labor ahead of them well uh, this is a critical step.
0: I love how you bring up that you have to have activities and do things that get the employees to not only understand, but to basically fully buy in and to help encourage them. That's what's going to get them to stick around, is when they have buy in themselves. So, Jessica, what did you have to say or add about this?
2: I was just going to add what Michael was, you know, kind of touching on that behavior component, you know, being that behaviors is one of the three leading indicators we look at with Fit for Work. We try to partner with these organizations to create those behaviors. And we know that those happen over time. They're not going to just flip on at 9 a.m. on a Monday when people decide to do these things. It starts with, you know, the top down and they're asking their new employees to to carry it from the bottom up walking through facilities and picking up garbage, you know, making sure that things are, are clean and organized and put away properly so that way associates can do their best work while maintaining a safe environment, while maintaining those high levels of production. So I think it comes also from a, a cultural aspect of what are we doing as an organization to maintain safety, to maintain that good positive culture amongst the entire facility.
0: I feel like when somebody goes home and then they use safety glasses and earplugs and they don't have to because there's nobody to oversee them. But when they're doing that at home, that means you're really teaching it correctly at work because anytime you are teaching safety correctly at work, it will spill over into their personal lives, into their home life. Would you agree with that?
2: 100%. I actually just had a client the other day on a video call going over a rollout with some expansion saying, hey, you know, I've been noticing at home I've been using, you know, more safety uh, gear, more safety precautions. And he was joking that his wife was like, oh, work's rubbing off on you, huh? And just little things that's like awesome. that. Are, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, when you think about it, it just makes you better overall. And that's part of, you know, the mission, right, is making sure that you can go home and do the things that you want to do and be with the people you want to be with. And part of that is safety is is keeping that in all aspects of your life.
1: Yeah. And that's definitely something that I always highlight when I help out with new hire training as well, is that this works if you use it, you know, 70, 80% of the time, but that includes what you're doing at home too. It's not just 70, 80% of what you're doing at work, but it includes being safe and and using proper techniques or even taking breaks when you're at home and doing the gardening or yard work or whatever. It's with a, a lot of people kind of forget those aspects when they get home as well. So we've talked about the, the new hire training and how we can incorporate safety into that. Jessica, can you talk more about what post-after testing does for new hires?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the unique pieces, you know, we were talking about kind of what they do for training and, and getting up to speed to produce, but bringing bodies in that are capable of doing the job is, is equally as important. So Not that it's a absolute necessity, but post-offer testing provides uh, candidates as well as the employer an opportunity to see, hey, is this individual capable of doing this job safely? Or at least foundationally to where we can train them and work that way up. It also gives candidates a real sneak peek into what they're going to be doing because that post-offer test is built off of a physical demands analysis and that's directly related to the job itself. So it's a good sneak peek for both sides to kind of see what the future may hold for that individual and how they can best produce for that organization.
1: Sticking with the safety topic, is your company at risk for an OSHA, DOT, or EPA violations? You need a safety compliance easy button. And Fit for Work can help. The fines are real and the human consequences can be much worse. Get up to speed quickly and easily by working with our experienced team of safety professionals. We will partner with you to find the gaps, get you in compliance, and keep you there. It's not worth the risk. Reach out to wellworkforce.com and click on the safety compliance button for more information. Jessica mentioned the PDAs and James is our resident certified professional ergonomist. Can you speak to how those analysis actually expand an employee's job pool opposed to shrink it down and, and limit the number of people that can apply for a job?
5: Yeah, not a problem. One of the things that we always say is if you want to make effective and sustainable change, you have to know the job. You know, how can you change the job for the better if you don't know what already goes into it, what the job entails? So utilizing ergonomics at the beginning provides us that foundation, you know, just like building a house. You want to have that strong foundation upon which to build everything off of. So ergonomics allows us to do that. We're looking at, you know, what the person in this role would have to lift, push, pull, carry positions that they have to get their body in, as well as mental and cognitive and and organizational demands and risks such as decision-making, along with shift links, breaks, rotations, etc. You know, one of the things we always say is, you know, if you can name it, you can tame it. If you can identify the hazard or the risk, then we can develop controls to mitigate that. So just kind of as an example, talking about expanding that that candidate pool, let's look at a typical scenario that you'd see in in a warehousing or manufacturing environment, as well as potentially retail and others, So while we're taking a look at the physical demands of the job, you know, what it is that they have to lift, push, pull, carry, as well as, you know, the body positions that they have to get into, say that we find a person has to lift an 80-pound box, which is typical of a case of meat, boxed items, electronics, things like that. Say they have to lift that box from floor level to waist level. We know that according to some of the analysis tools that that we have at our discretion to utilize, less than 1% Of the female population can safely perform that task. So really think about that less than one percent of females working in the United States would be able to safely perform that task. If we're able to reduce that weight by half, let's knock it down to 40 pounds with a lift assist device, let's engineer it out with a vacuum lift and to where that negates it completely, to where you know just about everyone can perform that process. Let's take for example, let's knock it down to 40 pounds which is more realistic having two people perform that lift or, you know, working with procurement to see if we can get that item in a smaller box. So if we do that, you go from 1% of the female population being able to safely perform that task to now we have over 80% of the female population able to perform that task. So it's not only great for increasing your pool of candidates, but it's also great for reducing the potential for injury and all of those direct indirect cost, as well as the the negative consequences associated with an injury.
0: That is such a more positive perspective to say, well, instead of we just have this process and we need to only have a certain group of people who can do it, let's open it up. Let's look at the process and try to change it so that way more people can do it in a safe and effective way. So much better mind shift change. Now, Michael, the principle of early intervention, it's something that I know we talk a lot about here at Fit for Work, and it might be said differently at other places. but can you please break down what is early intervention and how is that used to help employees
4: I think early intervention is is a critical component to establishing a, a new paradigm and a new culture and safety and it's, and it's pretty darn simple none of us are built as like a machine but at the same time like any machine from time to time we're gonna have a, uh, we're gonna break down and when a worker begins that experience, a soreness, an ache, a tightness, a discomfort. It's not necessarily an injury per se, but it could be. It's not something bad, so let's not let it get bad. Many times the old adage of, of workers would be, nah, it's not. It, it's okay. It, it, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I'm okay. Well, that's the whole idea. Let's not let it get bad. So at the first sign of a soreness, an ache, a tightness, discomfort, and irritation, we intervene at its earliest possible point in an effort to to mitigate that condition from turning into pain, problem, and dysfunction, where it would, in all probability, end up at a doctor's office somewhere. And then the, you begin that medical cost train and that just, just awful piece where the worker doesn't know whether or not uh, he'll be, ever be able to return to his job in the first place. So if you're able to begin to identify a sign or symptom at its earliest possible stage, where it presents itself as a tightness, a soreness, or an ache, a discomfort, well, then you're able to jump on it quick. You're able to provide some self-care activities. You're able to address what the root cause of it is. And of course, with many of our industrial partners, well, it's not just one person working at that particular position. There'll probably be many and the impact would be, would be great. So now for one soreness uh, is being addressed, you're actually tackling a great big number of problems that could possibly come about from a preventative standpoint. When you talk about early intervention in its mindset there.
1: Jessica, we've talked about the post offer testing, the new hire training, and now Michael just gave us a great rundown of early intervention. You know, when you're out talking to prospective clients, is this something that they need to have all of these in components in order to keep their employees safe or even to keep them on staff and have that job candidacy that we are looking for?
2: No, I, I don't believe that a uh... An employer or a client of ours needs to have all of these components. You know, the best practice there, sure, you know, there's some stronger pieces than others that, you know, depending on the client, the situation are going to be more impactful for them. But... Ultimately, you know, the journey to, to safety, to injury prevention is not a scripted one size fits all. So really looking at what the individual client needs to mitigate risk and what they can do to increase the opportunities for their employees to be successful. So the early intervention component is great. Takes care of the aches and the pains and the sorenesses, but the training camp allows employees to work up to the level that they need to perform at, and they can come in the door at a wider range of skill set and still be successful. The post-offer testing, you know, allows candidates as well as the employer to know a little bit more about what they're walking into when they hire that individual. But there's no need for you know a, a one-size-fits-all type of safety program or, or venture to that because it's just not going to happen. It's not going to be realistic for for everyone to adopt all of that and to do it well
0: I do think that there's an expectation that anytime we want to change something we want to change too much too soon when the reality is there's so many great options and each one of them is effective in its own right so people should be willing to try and do whichever one they can as soon as they can so out of all the ones we talked about Jessica is there one that you feel is just the simplest to get started that basically any site can just get going on right away
2: I would say bringing on Fit for Work and letting us run the, the training camp and post offer and all of that would be pretty easy for an operation as, you know, we can kind of tackle that and move past that. But I would say probably the training camp, the training of a new employee and uh, really making sure that they're doing their best to bring on a new hire. And, and it doesn't have to be a formalized training camp as you know we've described, but it can be just time with a trainer, assimilating and, and understanding the pieces of equipment and the flow of traffic and how to do the job well rather than rushing through that process would probably be the simplest for them to incorporate because they probably already have those tools and skills. It's just a matter of being a little bit more intentional with it.
0: That's a very valuable and great point, Jessica, about how People are already doing the training. It's just how are you approaching it? Are you having that intentional time that people need and being willing to make changes like make the training just one day longer, maybe two, just kind of seeing what sticks and what provides the greatest return. So really great point. Um, Michael, now you've had years of experience with trainings of new hires and even give it a fun name, calling it a boot camp, where you guys spent about a week with new employees. So can you talk to us a little bit about how that came about and what benefits the clients saw when they took the right time or they took that more intentional time with new hires?
4: Once again, considering the workforce, we have an individual. We don't know where he's coming from, what walk of work or walk of life he comes from. Then we're going to put him in a very physically demanding job. The conditioning and the ergonomic technique in which they perform that job is going to be critical for success. The process and the way that training is delivered, whatever that training and the scope of it is, it's got to be very pragmatic. It's got to reach that cognitive root that would elicit behavior change from the individual in the safest possible way so that what they're taught is a sustained over the long haul of their longevity in that job, in that position, doing that work. As I mentioned earlier, it's gonna bring about a predictive reasoning of mind and it reaches that cognitive root where the worker says, this makes sense. I can do this every day. It has high application and utility to real world job tasks. So you develop activities and modules and educational pieces that would enhance their skills at their particular position In regard to that physical demand, and if you do it in a very pragmatic approach and understand that their safety, their wellness and well-being is the number one priority before they even do the job itself, that resonates big time with those new hire workers. What we found in, in outcomes is that these new hires hit the floor and their productivity rates are higher than they typically are without such a program. Plus, they also benefit from uh, the conditioning over the course of time, however long their program is is set up or designed for.
1: Getting back to kind of wrapping it all up, Forrest, I'm going to speak directly to you and hope that you have some insight as our resident safety professional talk to our audience of safety professionals. What would you say to those peers of yours that are in these corporate positions? How does this impact compliance, regulatory processes that are required and that everybody's doing?
3: Sure. That's kind of the question that's on everybody's mind, no matter what level. But I'm certain all of my peers in corporate positions understand the law of every action and has an equal and opposite reaction relative to any environmental health and safety or risk management requirements. Now, Michael Escobar and Jessica Herrera provided examples of best practice risk management process to consider. And safety, risk professionals and CEOs can't move safety beyond compliance without vision, commitment, strategy and accountability at all levels. We know this. The question is, is how do you move towards that path? You have like a skier, you have trees, you know, and I use this analogy a lot because it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you talk to anybody who snow skis through trees, they don't look at the trees, they look at the path. There's plenty of trees all around, but we understand those trees being unsafe activities and behaviors lead to unsafe conditions, which we know that that happens more, you know, unsafe activities. Focus on safe activities, safe behaviors, and you will achieve higher compliance, productivity, and efficiency than you would otherwise. That's why safety audits and inspections don't really identify or change a whole lot. They just see what is the result. And, and so similar to like the ergonomic observations, looking at the behaviors of what they're doing and educating those employees on why these things are not safe for them to do. Not doing that leads to increased risk of non-compliance and potential legal liability, it leads to lower employee morale, culture, drains on efficiency, quality, and profitability, especially the current labor market challenges you know, makes selling safety from all levels of leadership to employees more effective and valuable than ever. And I love this quote. I got this from another behavior-based author. He said that practice doesn't make perfect. It makes permanence. We can be unconsciously incompetent and we have to do the right things consistently over time versus just doing a thing. Now, from a you know, risk assessment and treatment and financing organizations all over the world have long practiced various parts of what's been come to be called risk management, if you want to put a name on it. Identifying and prioritizing risk, either with foresight or following a disaster, it's long been a standard management activity, as well as contingency planning and crisis management. Those are common fundamental foundation things at the high level. What's changed beginning very near to the close of the last century is treating the vast variety of risks in a holistic manner and elevating that risk management to a senior boardroom and executive management responsibility. And never before in the history of our profession do we have the tools, the talent, and the actionable data points of the positive benefits to applying the financial concepts of the modern portfolio theory beyond just financial risks to include risks of all kinds you know, and that's before, during, and after the hiring process. And those turn in to improving culture, efficiency, reputation, and profitability. You know, it keeps your people happy. You're dealing with absenteeism and presenteeism. You're you're dealing with the hazard risks that are draining profits. And those are typically injuries and illness and facility and equipment damage. By focusing on that fact of before, during, and after the hiring process and make sure you have those best practice management processes in place. And I do use that term specifically, it's a process. it's not a program. you know programs just sit on a shelf somewhere. This is a process and it's ingrained into how we run our businesses. And, and Jessica said it, this does not have to be war and peace, you know reading the entire book. There are simple time-tested things that you can do that you can implement. they're immediately actionable and they have an exponential benefit for your enterprise, for your company.
0: That is a great point to bring up and bring in that last part of just about how safety affects more than just what happens in your four walls safety affects your reputation and reputation is something you just can't buy a reputation that comes from experience so being able to be at a site where i saw somebody three generations of employees because that grandson knew that this company took care of his grandpa and his mother and so it's a place that more than just to get a paycheck really great discussion and thank you so much for your time we really appreciate getting together and take care everyone I gotta say, Amber, these panel discussions are so much fun from our end. They are a lot of work, but I feel like they're totally worth the work. We really want to thank each one of them as an individual. Jess, Michael, Forrest, and James. Each one of them have so much knowledge, and just to share it so freely is a really a great thing. Things that stood out to me was one, Jess saying there's things we can do now that can make a difference now. We don't have to wait for three months or whatever, trying to search out for a new program. And we can just make little changes now. And I really like what Michael focused talking about, training with a purpose, not just telling people how to do the job, but why we do the job. And when they understand what they're asking them to do, click, makes all the difference. So I work at a client who they used to be two days of training, basically death by PowerPoint and then they were out on the floor and just wasn't very effective and now it's they have five days of hands-on training followed with then they'll have another week with a trainer so the amount of difference that has been made just by changing the amount of time and energy and effort and emphasis in training has really been a benefit in retention they're still getting the same type of candidates so it's not the quality of the candidates it's the quality of the training that has made the difference
1: You know what? Something kind of exactly along those lines. But just to speak to that, Curtis, you know, if people are worried about training camp taking too long, decreasing productivity because we don't have those new hires on the floor, I would rebut and say just the opposite. They are then leaving that week of training camp, moving much more efficiently, getting going on the floor right away and working up to standard even earlier than those previous new hires. You know, I was just at that client yesterday, Curtis, and I was observing one of the new new hires, he just started last week. And I had to ask him, I said, like, how long have you been here? Like, you look like you've been doing this for a long time. His first ever warehouse job, he's been in construction, never done something like this, but he was moving so efficiently just after these small changes that have been made in the training camp it was unbelievable, his efficiency on the floor. And then the part that I was going to bring up, you know, that ties right along with this is something that Forrest said kind of in the end in his summary there, practice doesn't make perfect perfect practice makes perfect. So making sure that those training camps and what you're doing on site is job applicable and something that they can take out with them and that they get time to practice it perfectly will only make the results just that much sweeter.
0: It really is true. So great insights from our panel and really want to thank everybody who participated. And we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention a fit for work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you please like and subscribe wherever you listen and to get started preventing injuries please visit our website wellworkforce.com click on connect with us to learn more and remember prevention improves lives